Happy New Year. Matt and I are so happy to be back. Are you ready for 2023? I'm a lot more ready for 2023 than I was for 2021 <laughs> and 2022. We survived 2021 <laughs> and 2022 and welcome to America Uncanceled. Just a few days after Christmas, Catholics across the world are mourning the passing of Pope Benedict XVI, a champion of Catholic traditions and the preeminent conservative thinker of the church. Pope Benedict leaves behind an incredible legacy that has served the faith for decades. But how will his teachings continue to inform us and meet global challenges in the times to come? Joining us today to discuss this and more is host of radio show Church and Culture and co-author of The Desecrators, Deal Hudson. Deal, thanks for joining us. Great to see y'all and Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Now, as we were closing off 2022, uh, we had received notification, uh, you know, obviously through social media that uh, Pope Benedict XVI was very ill. And, and really, I think, you know, it was sad in both of us to hear about his passing. Uh, what can you tell us about, you know, those last moments of Pope Benedict's uh, life? Well, we know that his last words were, Lord, I love you. And this was a uh, pope, a priest, a bishop, a prefect who always talked about Jesus Christ. He wrote a book about Jesus Christ. He was, in this sense, a very personal pope. Although he's known for his incredibly gifted mind, his world-class European education, languages, all these things, uh, he was a pope whose, whose face inspired a kind of feeling in all of us, that he was someone who accepted us, that he is someone who loved us, who liked us, right? someone who embraced us. And when you, and I've spent the last couple of days rereading many of his writings, and absolutely, I really urge your audience, anyone who is uh, interested in looking more deeply into the life and work of Benedict XVI, pick up one of his books. They're real. They're written for lay people. And they're beautifully written, and not hard to understand at all. The um, so let's get to the point of all of this, which is, you say we were sad about his passing, but I have to say, what a great life! I mean, well into you know, crossed into his 90s, a seminal theologian a man universally respected inside and outside the church, probably had all the right enemies too. Um, what does this mean for our church deal? Well, I just want to mention that what you've described is what Aristotle would describe as a happy life, which can't be determined until you're dead. His right. wholeness and greatness of his life. What it means is that we have lost uh, the living embodiment of Catholic tradition. You know, we call him a conservative. Why? Only because he defended doctrines of the church that have been there for centuries. Really not a conservative. I guess you could call him orthodox. In fact, as a young man in 1962, as a theological advisor to Vatican II, he was a liberal. He was a reformist. The guys he hung out with, like Hans Kuhn, who was later disciplined by the very congregation that uh, Rotzinger, that's Joseph Rotzinger, that was his lay, lay name, uh, headed. So we have to see him as someone who was a child of a, of a liberal age, 
but who saw in the 60s that this was going in the wrong direction, that all authority, not just the authority of faith, but the authority of reason was was failing. And so he became a conservative. In, in fact, he's went and reaffirmed Orthodox Catholic traditions, both its doctrinal and liturgical traditions. And he held the wall against the kind of thing we're seeing now, which is very sad to see. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting that you, you brought that up. It was Cardinal uh, Timothy Dolan who also mentioned this where Pope Benedict was able to bridge faith and reason uh, together. And then one of the things that uh, then Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger mentioned was that modern life uh, is ruled by the dictatorship of relativism. Uh, Deal, explain to us what that means. He basically defined it himself when he, say that, when he said that if you uh, love anything that is relative, it will become a dictatorship because only by loving the truth can you be close to our Lord, understand the world as it is, understand what human beings are all about. So that it's a dictatorship, not because it's a bad thing to say, a, believe in evolution, but it's a bad thing to make it the absolute first principle of your life. The, um, the, this pope was famously known for not being a politician. He wasn't a people pleaser. He wasn't a backslapper. Uh, it was harder to get, you know, just a regular audience with the pope uh, to get a blessing. Um, although he did some of the standard things. We, we went to a, a state dinner for the pope without the pope uh, <laughs> because he was, I'm sure, making the right decision to be at the, uh, the nuncio's residence. So, you know, you look at all... <laughs> of course, <laughs> what when, a when everybody would know this, of course. this you, were, you were pulling the strings. Yeah. Why do I say that? I say that because um, part of being uh, a pontiff is the PR aspect of it. And it would seem to me as the outsider looking in that he chafed in this role. He was really a theologian. He was a musician. He was a man of letters. He would give very thoughtful speeches, but he wasn't an exhorter and he wasn't an orator, and he wasn't really a politician in any sense. Is that what weighed him down over time in the job, and is that one of the reasons why he did this amazing thing of stepping down uh, before his death? I think that's right, Matt. And there's a lot of conspiracy theories about why he stepped down. Well, he, he stepped down at 85, which is retirement age. And Hey, Deal, a lot of people think retirement age is before that, but I'm going <laughs> to let you get away with that. Not if you're a bishop. <laughs> and uh, these guys work hard, you know, it looks, looks luxurious, they're all dressed up and so forth, but it's a very, very tough job. I but, agree. You know, St. John Paul II died at age 85, mm -hmm. and Francis himself right now, the Pope now, is 86. So it may be that Francis himself is thinking about making the same move, because the job of Pope of the Catholic Church can any job in prospect seem more of a burden than that? I think it'd be easier to be president of the United States because being Pope of the Catholic Church is a worldwide job. You've got to deal with Africa and you've got to deal with South America and you've got to deal with the problems in China, much less the problems in your own backyard because uh, Benedict XVI as being a German was watching before he died 
they sent the bishops of the German Synod were practic are practically in a schismatic state. Right. Yeah. The uh, I, I he was trying to oppose. The um, the only other job that might be harder is being the Republican leader in the House of Representatives. We can get to <laughs> that's that a later. delicate subject. But Schlapp. the um, but I do agree with you about how these jobs that once seemed so kind of filled with all kinds of really neat uh, aspects and historical significance have become quite burdensome to them. One of the things I think about is Francis seems also burdened by the job, maybe for different reasons, and he's not a young man. It always seems strange to have two former popes, popes emeriti. Um, does this, and just I'm asking you, this is just our, well, our notional opinions, do you think this opens the door for Francis to, in some kind of order, continue this tradition of stepping down and, and having another pope in his lifetime? Well, first of all, we can no longer call Benedict XVI emeritus. He's Pope. Fair enough. That's right. Uh, yeah, I think in a certain sense it does. I don't think it'll happen right away, but I do think Francis himself has not been in good health. And so I would, it, it, he will check with the liberal group of cardinals to make sure they've got somebody lined up to be elected at a future conclave. He will not step down unless he thinks that election is already fixed. Really? You believe that to be true? Well, the his election was fixed. Yeah. Just read a book on the what's called, what's called the St. Galen uh, Mafia, the group of cardinals who made sure going into the last conclave in 2005, I mean, excuse me, in 2013, after Benedict uh, stepped down, that they would elect a liberal pope. The fix was in. The fix will be in again. Well, really? Now, let me ask you this, as, you know, McCarthy could have taken a couple lessons from, you know, getting it organized yeah, before today's speaker's vote, but... Uh, Go to an election, a board election or anything without having the votes. The votes, yeah. you gotta have the votes. Couple things here is when you look at uh, Pope Benedict's legacy, you know, he obviously, uh, you know, stuck, you talked about the doctrine of the church, obviously when it comes to the cultural issues, he reaffirmed the teachings on, on abortion, on anti-abortion, and then also defending the two sexes. This is something obviously that here we're looking at the United States, we're watching this, this insanity with uh, you know the 50 genders and let's uh, move forward with child mutilation and these gender quote unquote affirming centers uh, really causing chaos in the family. Composting human remains. Yes, yes. Yeah. So your thoughts on, you know, in terms of when you're looking at Pope Benedict's legacy, how can we make sure that we're able to apply his teachings to what we're seeing today in, in our country? Well, first of all, you have to know them. And I must say that, you know, I am now 73, and I enjoy reading and studying more than ever, and I've been doing it all my life. And it was so delightful to go back and revisit some of uh, Benedict's writings, who I think will become a saint and a doctor of the church. Right. Both. Uh, so people have to take the time to look into one of his three encyclicals. You know, he wrote one on uh, God is love, his first and second on saved by hope, and then another on love as the truth. So I think that it's uh, it's if you want to pay your respects, 
mm. Benedict XVI, go back and read something that he has written because, you know, it really is quite clearly laid out. He he was no, noted for his lucidity, even though he was a world-class European intellectual. He was never over the head of anybody. Mm-hmm. Well, that's always the mark of a, of a sound intellectual, someone who can explain things clearly. That's what they're talking about, Matt. I mean, yeah. when I go to conferences, as I used to, and hear these, you know, these guys and ladies wax on in mic, you know, on micro theories, I just thought they really don't know their subject very well. Right. If they knew it well, they could explain it in a way that it could be understood. A lot of smart people in this room, but we're not following. You know, uh, Benjamin Franklin, I've, I've told you this before, Benj Benjamin Franklin, I'm gonna do a butcher job of paraphrasing it, but once apologized for the length of, of a letter that he sent because he said he didn't have the time to make it shorter, uh -huh. which it actually takes thought to make things simpler. Right. It's so right. true. And in fact, an interview like this is a challenge for all three of us. Right. To put into simple direct phrases what we think of this incredible life of Benedict the Sixteenth, I do think that what will stand out in the in the years to come are what people take and the church take and theologians and students of theology take from his vast writings. Mm -hmm. There have been most of them have been translated and edited and uh, published by Ignatius Press in San Francisco led by Father Fessio, as you know. And so it's all out there, and I'm sure we'll be seeing standard editions uh, for us to collect and, and to study. That's going to be his legacy. And fortunately, we have that. He was not the head of a cult of personality at all. Uh, he was he didn't have groupies like some think St. Paul II, John Paul II did. Yeah. In fact, he turned down the job of prefect of the congregation of the faith uh, once or twice before he accepted it because he wanted to remain a professor. Yeah. Mm. Do you think he did enough when it came to, I think what is the one of the dark clouds of the Catholic church, which is obviously these sex crimes? You know, I looked into that particularly because I knew it would come up. And when you look into it, if you start reading about it, you will see numerous people from both sides of the theological and political spectrum saying he's the one that cracked down on it. Mm -hmm. He's the one that, as prefect, he put, he put forth articles and documents saying how these kinds of things should be ha handled. He started pushing down, pushing back against the indifference of so many other bishops and so many other cardinals about this. Right. And so he's really a hero in that story. Mm. Even though, you know, they're saying things like he was a member of the Hitler Youth, he was conscripted as everybody in Germany was at the age of 14. Yeah. Conscripted into it, just like he was conscripted for a short time into the German army, which he deserted and went back home only to be put in a, in a prison that was known for its number of prisoners who starved. Mm -hmm. So he has some background. He drew on a lot of uh, the currents of history just the way St. John Paul II did in Poland. Right. Well, you're making the mistake of actually explaining history as it occurred instead of trying to bend it for a political purpose deal. So, you know, shame on you. But, <laughs> but as we enter, we're into 2023, 
Uh, politically, uh, things are tough in this country. They're tough in a lot of important places around the country. A lot of people aren't following the titles of those encyclicals. They're losing hope. Uh, they're forgetting about charity, and they're feeling pretty dark and low. If, if Pope Benedict was with us right now, what would he do to give us a pep talk on what we need to do to kind of fight back in these culture wars and these obnoxious woke wars? He would say, first of all, abide in the Lord. Say your prayers. And then he would say, all of us share a desire for God, for our creator. We can take hope in the fact that regardless of what anyone believes, what anybody thinks is the truth, within themselves, they hold a natural desire for the God who created them. They can't escape that. And they can't escape the kind of inner urgings that come up in all of us, this desire for God, for eternal happiness, for perfect happiness, we cannot escape those things. And those things, those urgings, will eventually arise again and the culture will start coming back to the truth. Well, I, I have to tell you, I, I hope that is the case and that's our prayer uh, for 2023. Uh, Pope Benedict, he'll be lying in state at the Vatican until his funeral on January the 5th. Uh, and obviously I think for all of us, he's an inspiration. Uh, and how we should live our lives and, and try to help build a, a better a better community, a better nation, and a better world. Deal Hudson, thank you so much for joining us on America Uncanceled. Thank you for inviting me uh, and to talk about this wonderful man. Yeah. Thank you all for watching, and God bless.